I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello po. Before we get to the podcast, just a proper introduction kung hindi pa po tayo magkakilala. I am Robbie Alampay. We are Puma Podcast. At kami po ay, well, Puma Podcast mula sa Pilipinas. Check us out on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Anchor, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And do consider following us on Facebook so you will know when we drop episodes. We do regular news briefs for Filipinos and we have been experimenting with features. What you're about to hear, for example, is the second episode of a series we call Playlist ng Buhay Ko. For now, everything we're putting out is sort of mixed in together in our podcast channels, but we will organize. For now, we hope you like this. A quick thank you to PLDT Smart Foundation for helping us set this interview and making this episode happen. Now, on to Playlist ng Buhay Ko. When did you realize that MVP stood for something really, really cool? Siguro when I was at PLDT already, but it was it was a, a practice in Finma that we would use in the shots, like FCRs Philemon Rodriguez, RVRs Cesar Rosario, Oscars OJH. I was MVP. Ngayon, siempre when they chant MVP, you like to think you're the ones being honored. Di pala. <laughs> Si June Marfajardo pala. <laughs> he wears many hats, holds many positions. In a way, every aspect of Filipinos' lives are touched by many of his investments. And yet we wonder, with all the titles associated with him, how would he introduce himself? In this episode of Playlist ng Buhay Ko. I'm Manny Pangilinan. I am a proud OFW. So you were born July 14, 1946. Uh, tell us about your father and your mother. Well, my father was... Uh, How would you call it? Maybe I remember him more as a, as a business person. No? Started his career, as I understand it, as a messenger in the in Philippine National Bank, in Escolta, where the head office, the original head office of PNB was. And my mother was a housewife throughout her married life uh, with my father. She started as a cashier in Saivals, also in Escolta at the time. <laughs> Saivals is a department store, a rather famous at that time anyway. PNB was just a block away and my mother was uh, simply taken off her feet by my dad because he, my dad dresses very well. He was in white shark skin with his uh, fancy shoes and uh, he's, he's quite good looking. So my mother said, oh my God. 
he must be a rich guy who could take me out of poverty. And little did she know that he was just a messenger. Anyway, they fell in love and the first years of their marriage, uh, they lived in my grandmother's house in Isabela de los Reyes, right beside USD in San Paolo. So I was born in 1946. In the 50s, I would recall one particular song, which was sung by Frank Sinatra. So I, I like this song, it's just a love song about loving each other all the way. All the way. Then we moved to Little Baguio. In San Juan. Juan. Little Baguio, San Juan. My dad, he would, would be at work at 7 a.m. in the morning, all the way up to 5.30. So he moved up the ranks. His first promotion, he was made branch manager of the Pasay branch. Then got moved to, to Cubao as a branch manager. Then up to be in charge of all branches of PNB. Then became head of international. Then became head of loans, loans and credit uh, when he retired. And then at the time, PNB got taken over by Marcos, and Benedicto was in charge of PNB. And then Benedicto brought, bought uh, uh, Traders Commercial Bank, I think, and then Royal Bank of Canada invested in that. So, so it was uh, Benedicto Marcos Bank, and he, Benedicto asked him to become president of Traders Royal Bank. And I think then uh, the life of our family became different. But what was he by formal training? Was he... What did he take up in college? What was his degree? Well, and what I'm told is that he was a commerce student in FEU, then left FEU to study in UP Los Baños. Now, when I asked my mom why he moved away from commerce and FEU over to UP, UP Los Baños, and it was very simple. He found a girlfriend in Los Baños. That's why he moved to UP. It wasn't UP was a was a sterling academic institution. <laughs> Although it is. <laughs> okay. Well, oh, well, oh, well, oh, heavenly angel, I want you for my girl. Neil Sadaka came over to Manila, so his songs become very famous. Uh, Stay Away to Heaven. And, uh, I was either in, in grade school or high school until sometime in 1956 or so, emerged Elvis Presley and then the disciples of Paul Anka, Neil Sadaka, etc. That started the 50s and the 60s. I remember those because they would play them on jeepneys or buses, and so you sort of, sort of hear them, and then just keeps getting repeated almost every day as you go to school. So so they, they bring you back memories of school, of... of uh, of vacation. Uh, what was school like? Well, San Beda at the time was actually run by the by the Spanish Benedictines. It was a very rigorous kind of education, uh, more by rote, you know, uh, memorization, very organized, very deliberate kind of education, and uh, but a very good school actually. I would say a very good elementary and high school, and the. The spiritual life was something that they deliberately cultivated in students because every Friday there would be a Mass in the afternoon and then every Wednesday there would be benediction. And we were encouraged to be acolytes to serve Mass early in the morning, so we'd be there at 5.30. I don't do it every day, but I would do it quite often. To the point where my dad had to ask me, Iho, are you going to be a priest? And then that's where he threatened me. I said, if you're going to do that, 
you might as well go look find another father you were serious yeah well, he didn't want to be to be a priest but did you enjoy it the spiritual uh, rigor yeah i guess i i would i would say more in hindsight than in practice no and ateneo in ateneo i went there because i just felt i needed something to open up my mind because we were so closeted in sambenda and ateneo i think brought that about you know, you know what it is humanities and all that uh really opened up my mind and uh, you have the ability to communicate to speak up Kanina sinabi niya, I think I know my dad more mostly as a business as a business person. Why do you say that? He he he's a typical maybe during his time, a typical Filipino father who, who didn't speak much, eh? but he was a disciplinarian. You could see when he was upset, uh, he would never allow us to be at the dinner table in our camiseta. He would send us back to our room, and then you. You must respect the food that the good Lord has given to us, so you change. Basically, you can't speak much over the dinner table. Every Sunday is family lunch. You've got to be there. He gets upset if you're not there. Uh, so he's he's. Uh, but in terms of a relationship, it wasn't a warm one. It wasn't something I would have liked. And my failure, actually, that is that I did not open him up uh, to get involved in that relationship, and it was one of my deepest regrets. You know? But one thing I deeply appreciate uh, about him is that, uh, I guess, as a son, I looked up to him as my role model, and I expressed on numerous occasions my desire to join traders, despite the fact that I have a good job at Finma, because I wanted to follow his footsteps. And he consistently discouraged me from thinking about it. I wanted to travel with him to be able to to show myself to Benedicto, even to Marcos, whom I never met my whole life. But he he consistently said no, no, no. That that hurt me actually, uh, as a son wanting to be like his dad. Now when he passed away. And when I was working, you know, for so many years already, when I reflected on that, I think he didn't want me to get involved in the politics of the business because it can be debilitating. I recall once that he, I shouldn't say the story. <laughs> he, uh, it was Christmas Eve. So I came down from Hong Kong on the 4:30 flight. Arrived here at 6:30. Got picked up by his car, and the driver told me, "Oh, your dad is still in the in the uh, in the office." Well, I said, "That's that's a little strange." So when I entered his office, and, uh, you know, after I made mano like that, like that, I told Dad, "Is there uh, something wrong?" Well, something happened. Some politician wanted some money, and he had to. Stay to open the vault. He had to get the bank cashier, blah blah blah, and of course he had to call Marcos to say, "Is this okay with you?" So he was not too happy with that. He has always been against behest loans, but that's the way it is. And I think that's what he was trying to shield me from. When I told him I was going to Hong Kong to work, he did not stop me. 
said, go. What he didn't like about me, though, was that I was, he always deemed me to be very aggressive. Because, Dad, you're a banker, right? <laughs> That's innate in you. Conservatism is innate in bankers. It's, it's uh, innate in the breed, right? Uh, but he really gets discombobulated and says, What? You bought another company? <laughs> Just last year, I remember, at the wake for George T., you told a story where George T., used the same word to describe you and the same warning for you. That's why I am a failure as a banker. We used to own banks and we're lousy lenders. But is it fair to say that you are aggressive? I mean, looking at it you now, You have to be, uh, if you mean to stay in this business and grow. You have to take risks. I, I think that's simply the nature of the beast, beast no? Probably more aggressive than others. But, uh, you know... Over time, I've noticed that the entrepreneurs here have become more aggressive, more growth-oriented, and so forth. And I think that has been the engine of this economy. You've spoken about your father. Now, in contrast, if that's a good word, tell us about your mother. Well, she's is a very lively. My mom is very extroverted, chatty, interventionist, and very open. Did she have any pet admonitions that still echo in your mind? Get some rest. That's always, uh, she said, you work too hard, you have to get some rest. Which, of course, I ignored because she wasn't in Hong Kong anyway. The one thing you cannot refuse your mother is when you're sick. When uh, I've had to have a hernia operations. I decided to do it in Hong Kong in Matilda Hospital, the peak. And then she calls me and said, oh, I hear you're having this procedure, blah, 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 blah. You know, Iho said, Tito na lang sa Makati Med, it's a good hospital, and I could take good care of you. You'd melt if your mom tells you that, right? So, okay, ma, I'll do it there, I'll go down. Little did I know that <laughs> I really should have done it on Kong purely from a clinical point of view, because when we invested in Makati Med at that time, oh my God. Anyway, let's not get into that. <laughs> you, you mentioned your dad, uh, you think now, tried to shield you from a lot of things. What was your mom like as a moral compass? Very strict when it comes to integrity. Very definitely. Even my dad, uh, when the uh, uh, real estate prices here tanked after the Aquino assassination in 1983, and my dad retired in 1985, and I was offered a property in South Forbes for around 5 million pesos or something like that. So my dad was already just retired. And I called him and said, Dad, I have an offer here for a very nice house in Forbes. I'd like to buy it for you and mom. And he said, don't do it, son. I don't need it. Besides, people might think that I stole money when I was with Traders Royal Bank. So, you know, I desisted. But I should have bought it for myself. Sixties were fairly memorable to me, especially because uh, when I left Manila for Philadelphia for my for my graduate degree, uh, 
the associations became famous. And These were your years in, in Wharton. Did it mean anything to you or was it just a, a happy soundtrack for a happy-go-lucky time in your that life? That was the beginning of the hippie years, no? Uh, the, the protests, Kennedy and, and his attempt at ending racial discrimination, Vietnam War. The Penn Campus were very active with protesters, with hippies, and so forth. And uh, part of the reason for that is that uh, there was a center within Penn that was regarded to be producing all of these nasty chemical weapons that the U.S. was using against the Vietnamese. So it was also a closely guarded facility right in the middle of campus. So, so that's why the, the Penn attracted some uh, a great degree of protesters. Uh, so, you, you know, then, then of course you heard about all of these things in San Francisco. That was when the, uh, the gay movement sort of had its uh, start. And then the uh, Woodstock with the Jesuits, I think, was very familiar with, with Woodstock because I think they have a big seminary or something, a school, a school there for, for their novices. Were you no? caught up in that? Of course, I had the television set in my flat, so I was watching those things happening. Even in campus, there were protests as well. No? But as you said, watching television, was this a period of, of, of heightened awareness? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, simply because it's new and it's different, no? Um, so I, I was, yeah, got, got caught up in it. It's, it's a very interesting proposition uh, for me. Uh, yeah, except, of course, I felt it was an American situation and I was a foreigner in that land. So, but you could see the, 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 the emotion behind the movement and that this is going to be big. Something really big in the future, no? You know, I was too poor to go to anywhere. <laughs> the location, too poor to go to even New York. I went there only once to go to the Institute of International Education. They were the ones administering my scholarship. R- run us through that very quickly. Who paid for MBA? Throughout my academic life, I think from elementary to MBA, my tuition was free actually. So my parents didn't have to spend for my tuition. Zambeda, they gave me a scholarship. It was given by the school, similarly with Ateneo. In MBA, it was Procter & Gamble scholarship that uh, funded my education at Wharton. So why didn't you end up with Procter & Gamble? They rejected my job offer. <laughs> well, the scholarship said you, you're not, there are no strings attached to the scholarship. In fact, they said, please don't apply with us. But I applied to them anyway, and they turned me down. So that was my first uh, job rejection. <laughs> you took finance or MBA? or no, uh, I had to take marketing. That was a requirement of the scholarship. I wanted finance, yeah. But they said, no, you have to take marketing. And I had to go straight from college to master's, which was a big mistake, big mistake. What did I know about life? What did I know about business, the realities of business? So I was doing merger accounting without knowing what the numbers really meant. I can do the sums, but... What did it mean in real life? The impact on people, on the business? No sense of it. So your advice to a young person would be graduate from college, get a real job, and then consider a graduate school? Yes. If you want to take your master's, do it after several years of exposure, real-life exposure. Then I think you get a better sense of what it is you're trying to do with your life. Number two is that if you could have a job offshore, abroad, 
better for you. Why? You introduce yourself as as a proud OFW. You would encourage people to explore their horizons outside of the country? Correct. Because number one, uh, a great deal of the reason why I left the Philippines to work in Hong Kong is that I just felt the atmosphere, maybe at the time, maybe now, I don't know, was rather stifling. Because, you know, our extended family system provides a huge cocoon of comfort. So it, it stifles initiative. Because, you know, at the end of the day, if you get sick or you lose your job or whatever, you always have somebody to fall back on who will support you. Maybe not as much as you expected, but at least there'll be a support system. And that, I think, is a huge disincentive. So the aspect of personal responsibility, personal accountability, is very little amongst Filipinos. No? And therefore, your ability or your inclination to take risks is very low. And so I think that's a major, major impediment to entrepreneurship. You cannot teach entrepreneurship without lifting the cultural barriers towards risk-taking. And that is a good thing rather than a bad thing. Remember the constant uh, barrage of my father on me that I'm too aggressive. So I want to get out of that system. And number two, I want to prove to myself that I can be personally responsible, personally accountable, and personally successful because of me, right? Uh, which is what my father wanted me to do rather than riding on his uh, own success or hitching my wagon to his, to his star. No? I, I think that's very important for people nowadays to be personally accountable to what they do. Of course, your, your OFW journey is... I mean, stands out. I mean, it, it's uh, it's an outlier for the compared to the millions of uh, OFW stories. Not everybody who has the ideal ending, but when you encourage people of a particular privilege, let's say, to go ahead if you have that option to go out, does that come with your uh, with your confidence that Filipinos will find their way home anyway once they find their strengths and their footing and their place in the world? Is that important that they actually f- literally find their way back here? Yes, to me it is personally. It's important that they that they do, but you know you cannot just leave it alone by itself. No, I think all of us, including the government, must have a reverse immigration policy. We should be attempting to bring them back, uh, and uh, we're doing that now. Um, about two months ago when I was in the States, I met quite a number of Filipino uh, professionals who work in there uh, and Filipino students about to graduate and say, come back, we need you here, and so forth and so on. I think it's important that we get... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. These times back, even if after so many years, after let's say doctors and nurses who have retired, please come back, spend a few months here, teach us what you've learned. And uh, I think that's very, very important for me. Whenever I would got to go to Masinongkong, and if it's a Tagalog mass, you really feel diff- I feel very different. In mass, if it's in Tagalog than in English, it because it, it the words really, you know, it, it really resonates. It, you know, it catches you. I was lonely, and uh, you were looking for things Filipino, and music was one of them. Uh, because, as Father De La Costa said, it's music and your religion that that kept on hold when you're abroad, particularly. There are favorite OPMs, like the songs of uh, Nonoy Suniga, the songs of Sharon Cuneta, uh, the songs of Basil Valdez, which are truly, truly OPMs. No? So those were my favorite. Yeah, but speaking of which, Manila Sound. Ah, that came when I was in Hong Kong. That came when I was in Hong Kong. Uh, that's when I became very keen in promoting it in Hong Kong, particularly, and start, you know, sort of studied the OPMs, and uh, to the point where I, I was being interviewed on radio by Filipino commentators in Hong Kong, saying, "What's your interest here?" Etc. Etc. The beginnings of OPM. Yeah, very keen to, to support and. I, really, I, you weren't just an an. Well, we didn't have the term OFW then, but you weren't just an overseas Filipino in Hong Kong consuming this. You act. You actually had a an an active uh, role in 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 as you said studying and and. Yeah, we would bring OPM singers. Sila Basil Valdez, Haji Alejandro. The uh, circus band, circus band, etc. They they all uh, participated in Christmas parties and Independence Day events. We'd bring them, so I was very active promoting OPN music and trying to explain it to the Filipinos in in Hong Kong on radios or on in any uh, forum that uh, that would want to understand what what's going on. No? Um, and, and telling them that look, this is a significant movement. Maybe it's an attempt to define what Filipino music is all about. Unfortunately, the the melody and the instruments we use are Western melodies, Western music, no? And their adaptations, their translations of English songs like uh, Evergreen and uh, whatever else, particularly Barbara Streisand songs. And then it shifted to real Filipino music with the Apo hiking and so forth and so on. Hot dog, Sharon Cuneta, and the like. So, 
Which, which resonates to this day. Filipino content, now video, and of course audio, are things I think our Filipino FWs are looking for. Because when you're out there all alone, you have to look for something that can, can give you the, the, the comfort. No? In many ways, there is somebody, uh, something that can keep you afloat. And it was that and my mom. I would call her at least once a week just to to um, to get updated on what's happening in the Philippines and just to get a sense of how the family was and how how she was and uh, Ilan po ba kayo magkakapatid? I'm sorry. Tatlo lang. My kuya and my sister who was the younger. So I was the middle. So I was the neglected child. I, I grew up with my siblings. Uh, uh, we lived in 327 Baraswain Street. The house had only two bedrooms, one bedroom, the master's bedroom for my mom and dad. And the uh, second bedroom is for the three of us. So we all lived, we all slept in in two sing- single beds that were joined together at night. During the day, there were two single beds. So if you want to sleep, you have to sleep on the floor in a banig, you know. Um, there was the terrace, a small terrace, the living room, dining room, kitchen, that's it. And a and a toilet for the maids. It was a small house, so in many respects it was a very intimate, intimate house, so we knew each other and the schedules and so forth and so on. I would study in the terrace because it was difficult to study at night when you, when you have to have your lights on with your, your Chiki and Tessia sleeping already, so we'd uh, sleep in the terrace. What, one memorable incident was uh, Mayo 26 or 21 when the, uh, the floods, heavy rains, and the house got flooded. Uh, at that time, my father was sick and uh, he was at the San Juan Clinic uh, near the market with my mom and Tessie. And just Chicky and I were, were in the house and you know, it was uh, midnight when the floodwaters rose. Fortunately, we had uh, uh, a relative with us who knew how to drive the car. His name was Romy. And he drove both of us out of the house to my uh, auntie's house nearby, so but a uh, higher level. And uh, the house just got flooded and there was mud all over the place. The the clothes, the furniture were uh, all muddied up. And when my mother, when she got home the following day, you know what she did? She just sat on the sidewalk and wept. And I was too young to, to understand what, what all this means. No?
Lead me, Lord. Lead me by the hand and make me face the rising sun. Comfort me through all the pain. Was PLDT deliberately a path home, or was that not necessarily the the design? The reason why I moved to the field, we could have made investment in PLDT nonetheless and chosen a CEO, was that I told the board the first specific, I feel personally responsible for making this investment because of $700 million at the time, I think close to $900 million that we made in PLDT. And uh, I felt personally responsible for this investment. I have to make sure it, it, it will work. And I can only do that by coming down and managing this company. Um, and I felt personally challenged about how we can converge SMART and, and PLDT. You know? So the aspects of convergence, the concept of it, was first enunciated as far back as 1998. You know? So I guess when I came down uh, in 1999 on a full-time basis, you just got stuck you know, with these uh, Filipinos. <laughs> But what was the emotion then? Was it uh, parang, again nga, parang oh, kahiyaan na to or panindigan na to? Or was it relief or was it a, a welcome challenge or even something to look forward to that finally I can do work from, from the Philippines, from Manila? Yes, there was, there was an element of that. that you know, I, I, I'd like to prove myself in my own country. Because even, you know, when I first went to Hong Kong in 1976, I gave myself no more than five years. Say, I'm going to go back to my country and so forth and so on. And that got stretched to 22 years you know, until the end of 1998. So, because it, it, the work was just very interesting for me out there in Hong Kong. And you're right, it is a second home. And I love Hong Kong because of the, the way... The, uh, the working conditions, the way uh, Hong Kong works to global standards. No? Uh, coming back here, it was a challenge on two counts in, in managing this business and, and really realizing the concept of convergence. But at the same time, I was telling myself, I really need to relearn this culture because I've been away so long. And you know, you guys are so different from when I left the Philippines, and I have to learn, relearn how you guys operated or don't, didn't know how to operate. So, so you're saying it's not just that Filipinos are, were different from Hong Kong uh, people. You're saying Filipinos in the 90s were already vastly different from, from Filipinos in the, in the 70s. How so? I mean, expound on that. And ano yung mga specific na nakita nyo na, uy, iba na to. Well, certainly the political landscape is very different. When I left Marcos, yun eh. So, alam mo na kung anong sitwasyon doon. Martial law, you know, isang tao lang magsalita, yun na yun eh, di ba? And when I got back in uh, 1998-99, it's a real democracy. So, medyo iba na, no? At saka, it harked back to the democracy I knew when I was growing in the 50s. It was a real democracy. And, uh, and you know, senators of honor. Senator Claro Recto, Senator Jokno, 
uh, Senator Tanyada. The, you know, I met them through through Philemon Rodriguez and Ramon de Rosario. And said, oh, they really are, are titans. And they're, you could sense that these are people of integrity. When I came down, <laughs> it is, I'm not saying that hard, but... Uh, uh, yeah, the political milieu was very different when I came back. So also those were the years where I was very busy. So I didn't have time to to listen to music. That was the time as well, the 90s and the early 2000s, when my interest in classical music got 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 born. No? Uh, and it started with a play in New York, Amadeus, about Mozart. I prefer the classical music that is lively. Most of his compositions are quite uh, uplifting and the like. Most recently, I would favor music where there's a Filipino element, like Bruno Mars, who's a Filipino, and that guy Pineda, I forgot. Arnel Pineda. Arnel Pineda. The millennials listening in are saying, Sige nga, name your Bruno Mars song. Uptown Funk. I knew that I was entering into deep waters that I'm not familiar with at all. No? Hong Kong was a new place for me to work in. I didn't know how to deal with the Chinese. Um, and a new job in finance. No? So, yeah. I, I, but, you know, I, I guess when you're thrown in the water, you got to learn how to swim and learn quickly. No? And that's what I, I did. And the thing is, and I've said in, in earlier, is that uh, I learned a lot more from the Chinese, the Chinese staff, than from the Filipino staff. Uh, foreign exchange, lending practices, how to balance your treasury positions, hedges, uh, badminton. The Filipino colleagues taught me where to eat and how to eat, where to shop. <laughs> People, they look at you, and among the things that they admire, but at the same time are intimidated by, they see, that's it. This is his, his life. What do people not understand about you? Or what do people misunderstand about your life? <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, in a way, maybe they're scared because of the image, right? But let me tell you this. When some people say, I want to be like him. Well, not this monarch, but the previous queen, Elizabeth, once said, to be a king and wear a crown seems more glorious to those who see it than it is a pleasure for those who wear it. You don't want to be like me, right? There's always a heavy price to pay for the, for this kind of life. You're right. It's work before family. That's why I don't have a family of my own, right? And it's one of my deepest regrets, not to have your own family. 
uh, because you know it's 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 hard for me to handle the demands of the job versus the and the demands of a family. Some people can do that, but always there's a compromise. In my case, I said I don't want to compromise. I'm on a mission. This is my mission. So, in a way, that's very scary. When I say that work before family, I have attracted a lot of criticism, even from people internally. Well, that's the standard, right? You either go along with it or you don't, right? So it's up to you. They say family is is defined uh, by by Sundays. What is Sunday like for you? Uh, I would wake up maybe around nine or ten in the morning, have my breakfast, then go back to sleep. Uh, wake up at around noon, uh, walk around the garden to see what needs further improvement, and then shower, go to the office by one o'clock, then work. So maybe seven or eight o'clock in the evening, unless there's a game, a Nathaniel game or a or a uh, or a Meralco game or a talk and text game. Uh, but otherwise, that's that's my Sunday. Sometimes, uh, at least once a month, I would have lunch with the family. See, Latesi, the my pamankins and my boss, uh, either at Tessie's house or. I take them out. Like last Sunday, we had uh, lunch at uh, in one of the restaurants in in Alabang. You know? Well, Tessie has, uh, used to work in a bank. I forget which bank. <laughs> uh, but then, when she got married, she became a housewife uh, all throughout her life. Uh, after after she worked, uh, got three kids. So she's it's a normal family. She is she is a pangilinan, which means that she's a hoarder. She hoards food. So whenever I would go to her house or when we were living in New Manila, if you're hungry, you just have to go to her room and ransack her larder, right? Because she will always have the, the nicest biscuits and the nicest chocolates. So to this day, she does that. She has, I don't know how many refrigerators, how many freezers. So you just go walk into the kitchen, take whatever you like. Yeah, and she serves good food and, and a tremendous quantity of food, you know? So she's like that. So she's kapangpangan. She's a pangilinan, yeah. Uh, so that's that's how I relate to my to my family. Yes. Sometimes I play badminton with them weekday nights. In a way, it's a quiet Sunday for me because I need the time to... It's always been my habit, ingrained in me since time immemorial, that I would like to be ready for the following week. So I want to make sure that my paperwork is, is in order, that uh, I've done all of the backlog and so forth, so that I'm ready, fresh, to face the new week. And what do you go to when you want to, to pick yourself up, inspire yourself, motivate yourself, recharge? You know, I've, heard, I've had dark hours in this country when I returned, and uh, it's not so much the song, but it's a movie that I would play, replay, re-replay uh, whenever I would feel threatened or depressed uh, and that movie is a man for all seasons about St. Thomas More how he stood up to the pressures from Henry VIII about his divorce uh, with uh, Catherine of Aragon so he can marry Anne Boleyn it's a good movie it just it just somehow invigorates and revives your moral strength that uh, 
it does tell you that it's it's good to stand on your principles. Well, it's good to have role models, right? Whether it's myself or any other business person, any other leader in the Philippines or anywhere else in the world. But at the end of the day, you have to be your own man. You have to be yourself and carve your own place rather than, you know, you're nothing but a second-rate servant. Cherry Hill, yeah? Happy cat. Don't, don't be like that. Be your own man. Playlist ng Buhay Ko is a production of Puma Podcast. Once again, we would like to thank PLDT Smart Foundation for helping make this episode happen. Ako po si Robbie Alampay. This episode was edited by Mikel Bolante and Nico Bolante. Also helping to put this episode together were Trisha Aquino, Carl Javier, Kat Ventura, Siege Tantenko, and Justin Umali. Subscribe to Playlist ng Buhay Ko and to Puma Podcast on Anchor, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Maraming, maraming salamat po. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>